What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Base Life Podcast. Before I introduce this guest, I would like to turn you on to another podcast uh, if you're interested in something a little more regular and still in the uh, base space. Katya Seyfart's Mental Power Podcast is uh, is a great listen. She talks to a lot of interesting people, many of whom are jumpers. So uh, if you're looking for something more regular and maybe a little more professional than us, uh, then she's she's another great uh, avenue for, for getting your base fix in these weird times. That being said, uh, we had the great privilege and uh, sort of luck of, of Rob Heron passing through town and uh, unfortunately for physical therapy. So he was here for quite some time recovering, but that gave us a chance to hang out a few times. And during one of those hangout sessions, we uh, we had the chance to record a little podcast. So, uh, you know, Rob hadn't talked to a jumper or two jumpers in a long time, and we hadn't recorded a podcast in a long time. So we were all sort of knocking the dust off, but it was a, it was still a great, great opportunity to hang out with another jumper and, you know, talk about jumping things. So uh, without further ado, uh, this is Rob Heron on the Bass Life Podcast. Thanks. Three, two, one, see ya. You're listening to Bass Life Podcast with your hosts, Randy and Rob. All right. You ready to kick this thing off? No. But no? <laughs> go with the flow. <laughs> See what happens. See where it goes. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we are in the... It's been a long time since I've, uh, since I've recorded. I'm actually a little bit nervous here. Um, yeah, Rob. Free fly Rob. Heron. Have you hit the button? Welcome. Are we on? Yeah. Yeah, I hit record. <laughs> Red light's on. I'm, I'm assuming that still means we're recording. All right. As, as, as rusty as I am. <laughs> It's okay. You can be rusty. You're guiding me through this as we go. Yeah. It's my first shot of it, and you're just waking my brain back up. So. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So it was sort of a target of opportunity because you you messaged Brian and was like, "Hey, I'm in Stuttgart. We should hang out." And then I was like, "Oh, Why a real you call me." Nah, I don't <laughs> care about that. But I was like, "A real live base jumpers in town." Like, uh, yeah, because I don't. I haven't really done a whole lot of recordings because I, I don't want to do like the FaceTime calls. I just, there's, you lose some of the personalness of, of the yeah, conversation. Yeah. And so I was like, well, wait, Rob's in town. Yeah, we should try and uh, get him on. And, uh, but yeah, we got to hang out last week and, and it seemed, it's like, okay, I think, I think you'd be amenable. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so uh, here we are. Still consider me a base jumper. <laughs> do I fit the, uh, Right. Credentials. Well, shoot, I think you've base jumped sooner than I have. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, my last jump was October 20th, 2018, and I shattered my ankle. And, uh, and it's been, I would have come back this year, but then COVID, well, I guess mm. I would have come back in 20, but COVID became a thing, so. Yeah, I kind of woke up after a crash into the COVID thing, too. Yeah. So, um, I don't know whether. I fucked up the world by hitting it so hard, <laughs> as the ego might think so, or whether I just you. hit the planet so hard that I just shook the shit out of myself. <laughs> nice. All right, All right, Brian is in the house. Speak another man. Here he is. How's it going? Do you want a little bit of wine? No, I'm good, thanks. 
Uh, we can knock you off the wagon too, can we not? Yeah, wait, isn't tomorrow? Yes, you can wake up into it. I'll, uh... Join us. I'll go grab the beers real quick. Okay, yeah, we got one more Hofbrau for Rob. I'll grab that. Yeah, uh, ultimately, I, I can understand why you would say you're nervous, because maybe you're thinking it's a production put out to the world, but I'm considering this more as a casual conversation. Yeah, exactly. Where we can sit and chill and talk some nonsense and reminisce and wake up some memories that have been stored. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the idea is, uh, you know, initially I, like I cared about certain things and then I realized that it's the, the best part of the podcast for me is that it's a recorded conversation with my friends and, you know, and I'm knock on wood, but I'll always have this conversation. Yeah, you know what I mean? Fair, so yeah. it's one of those, uh, one of those things. Everyone on the podcast, everyone that's been on is still alive. So <laughs> another knock on wood, but uh, well, I would like know. to hear some things from others that aren't alive. If you could interview them, it would be um, very interesting. Right? Yeah, we might <laughs> we might need some. Uh, Unless um, you get some mediums in here. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't, I don't know if you can do that with some mushrooms or what sort of uh, <laughs> how we could facilitate I don't that. Think the microdosing is gonna yeah. cut it. <laughs> cool. Yeah, welcome, Brian. I wasn't sure uh, how long that call was going to take, so I just figured we'd fire it up, and then if you had a chance to sit down, cool. There but, we uh, go. But yeah, I was just saying this: the uh, these podcasts, you know, became just it's more about recordings with me and and my friends and uh, having fun, just talking. But uh, also, I'd like to think that somebody out there is going to get something out of it, maybe, or pull something out of it that that maybe will. Help them extend their their journey a little bit, or yeah. be a more maybe a more proficient base jumper. <laughs> That's all a I can say. Is, um, I know I know a guy that could could use some proficiency. <laughs> you got to re-listen to your fucking your your podcasts, right? <laughs> get, get caught up. Yeah, you're you're a bit sure. uncurrent. Super uncurrent. Well, I think we're all uncurrent with the aspects of life that we would uh, choose to do. Yeah, you're disconnected here. No, yeah, I can hear it. Yeah, each there's so there's five ports and yeah, uh, three, yeah, I can three, hear it in, in the headphones. In. But if you bring the mic just a touch closer to your mouth, it'll yeah, right. So you actually ah, there hear you what I have to say. Now I can hear you. Or continue with the nonsense. Yeah. Yep. Well, we can uh, start off again with it as being a casual conversation and not an interview, right. yeah. as I prepared absolutely nothing. Same. Well, so at least, and, and I, I'm all on board for that, uh, for, but for the uninitiated that don't know Free Fly Rob Heron, I'm sure there's a couple people out there. Um, you know, how, uh, give us a little bit of background on yourself. Oh, background. Let's see. I can't see that far back there. Um, <laughs> I like to just start off with uh, generating the attitude of gratitude. Um, the podcast world, this has actually been my company the last eight months, eight to ten months of life has pretty much been listening to podcasts and finding the ones that I either tune into or whether it's just another voice inside my head that I have to decipher on which voice I'm listening to. And... Ultimately, uh, it has been a really good, I wouldn't necessarily just say entertainment, but 
gave me company through this downtime. And this downtime was, as we were talking, not only the COVID that arrived, but I timed it impeccably with uh, crashing into the planet and poking a hole in my wingsuit with the femur on a crashing into the planet with a tension knot from a wingsuit base jump. And this was the day before confinement. So I woke up um, after surgery in the hospital with all the nurses masked and working under a different stressful scenario and then came to a long-term recovery in a state where even Squirrel wrote immediately. Matt was like, how did you time that so impeccably? You've got the whole industry on the hospital bed next to you. You're mm -hmm. not missing out on anything. And as much as you have inner fierceness of trying to set your uh, achievements or goals or sense of satisfaction in any which way, I didn't have the fear I was missing out on the activity that hindered my uh, mm. scenario. And my wife believes it was a blessing in disguise because she doesn't believe I would have confined myself to the mm -hmm. restraints that were being delivered with no adequate information that I would continue my regular life of social distancing the way I've done my whole life. Mm. previously which kind of gets to the beginning of the long story you're actually asking me about there's <laughs> the history so i um i'm canadian by birth and a nomad on this earth that got traveling with the the choice that came with the freedom of becoming 18 i could choose what i wanted to do without parental um, acceptance. So I looked up in the yellow pages for skydiving and those maybe a few decades ago when yellow pages were a thing. Um, we found two companies that offered a skydiving service and I phoned them up and gave them my address and they sent me their flyers and in the meantime, I took one of my friends at the time, we took my motorbike and we went, took a paragliding course just so that I could later tell my parents, well, I already know how to use a parachute. <laughs> <laughs> so when it came to the time of asking, I was already of age that I didn't have to ask. Well, I wasn't quite of age. I got the information a couple weeks before my 18th birthday, and the weekend was a little before my birthday. So my friend and I ventured out to the drop zone, and we were hanging out. The weather was good, and we are like, well, it's close enough, right? Can we go? And sure enough, they, uh, they gave us the, the course, and it was static line, and we went up in a 182 and was introduced to... Exiting a small aircraft, and that gave my life direction. Very cool. So static line progression, doing the practice ripcord pulls and <laughs> all of that with, like, uh, did you ever drop a ripcord? 
Nope. No. Nope. Nice. Nope. <laughs> that, that, that was my uh, progression as well with static line. Uh, but that's that's really cool. How long ago was that? That was in 1996. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, mine. I was 2002 when I when I did my first jumps. And at that stage of life, I was supposed to be choosing and working towards a career. And I was choosing another passion and lifestyle course that wasn't necessarily the most stable. And I moved into the tattooing industry. And that gave me an opportunity to earn work on skill development in different aspects. It got me traveling and I could always be skydiving a little bit on the side and the tattooing could um, accommodate the expenses. And then I could start with the putting the tattooing on the back burner and take it with me while I was traveling, living on drop zones, making the progression through packing, video, coaching, the standard. And then because I had... I respect the art form of tattooing too much to just dabble in it. That became further and further on the back burner, and I could focus and proficiently progress with the skydiving. And I was super fortunate because the the whole industry and the progression of the industry, I happened to be just on the rip curl of the wave of the the progression from ram air parachutes to... Um, free flying and then the disciplines just exploded from there so I was super fortunate to be right in the, the beginning of that swell that's awesome so are, are you uh, loyal to the coil so to speak what it's he's talking term. tattoo talk. <laughs> I watched a t- I watched a TV show once I was going to say do you still do you, do you still tattoo at all or did you hang it up completely? No, I didn't hang it up completely. It is still <clears throat> locked in a protected treasure chest. In yeah, for particular times, it still comes out and shared amongst uh, special people. And but again, because I respect it too much, I don't. I don't want to just dabble around. So when I even do bring it out, it's for a special occasion where I'm even letting my untattoo capable friend actually maybe tattoo me mm-hmm. for example just because we create an experience in the memory of the living art form and then you've got a story and a memory and see when you meet them again and you see how it ages and you age and i did that with uh, i let um uh jack and sam tattoo me simultaneously <laughs> Uh, on each knee it was uh it was a lot of fun it was so painful it, originally i planned to do a podcast while they recorded <laughs> just this is you know all going at the same time i could barely see straight uh because they're both really really new and uh <laughs> and they were going deep oh it was so painful it was so <laughs> painful but it was it was worth it not not my best tattoos but uh <laughs> but my favorite tattoos for sure so. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the marvelous things about it. It's not always about the the most pristine design, but the memory, the time, the experience, and the rest of our body. It's just a 
a sack of scars one way or the other anyhow. So Canvas for one living. thing or another. Uh, yeah, so when you femur, did it uh, impact any of your tattoos? Um, it exploded out the belly of my dragon. <laughs> <laughs> and the doctors were very... Um, uh, cooperative in not adding additional scars. They were really clever in their their slices, and they are they almost fit with the tattoo. Nice. It's the the hobbling and the limping and the crutches that give away the. Uh, <laughs> now there's a big femur rod in the middle of it, the leg. So mm. nice. I, I've been looking at uh, doing some kind of like uh, skeleton sort of fish. Or maybe a shark the, um, to connect like the top and bottom of my uh, my tib fib. Ah, uh, yeah, right. like, But uh, see something fun with that maybe. But so it's about time that maybe we get our first jumps together. Yeah. Back oh. from recovery. Seriously. Mm. Yeah. Seriously, they wouldn't be our first jumps together per se because we definitely skydived with you in Spain or somewhere. It all blurs together for me now. Mm. Maybe it was Eschbach. Yes. I don't know, because you you coach all over the place, so it's like yes. it's all, and, and we jump <laughs> wherever anyway. we can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was, was skydiving your primary form of, uh, or coaching and jumping, sky sports your primary form of income uh, prior to the injury? Yeah, yeah. So um, skydiving is giving me so much um, in life for community, Sport, drive, um, the creative energy, uh, the fortune I had by being at the beginning of the disciplines allowed me the opportunity to explore and progress in all the disciplines until I was interested in either exploring more and discovering my own way or discover another um, discipline and in the meantime, everything kept evolving. Like the parachutes were getting more stable, more faster, more swoopable. So then swooping became a discipline, and mountain swooping then became super stimulating. And Europe had the mountains, so things like that would keep you moving, and you would uh, acquire the skill of what you were um, either working on coaching, developing, and creating your your own progress and gaining more skill in the other disciplines on the side. So you're then you're also video flying or coaching and filming, doing tandems. Everything on the side helps complete the whole package so that you learn what everybody's job is in the whole industry, not necessarily just what's happening at the drop zone, but then the aircraft, the pilot, the the pilots, the no-tam zones, the airspace, the airspace we're using, how we're using it. It just continued to give a broader spectrum on the the fine-tuned information that we're trying to focus on on our body while we're just screeching through the air. <clears throat> sure. And I have no idea why I'm talking about this. Can yeah. can you elaborate on the mountain swooping? What you mean by that? Well, what I mean by it is, uh, well, we would 
open our high performance parachutes over the peaks and then attack. Um, since then we've learned through trial and errors on more disciplined approaches to the practice like all the disciplines at first they seemed to be very reckless but that was part of the exploring and finding the limits and this went again with all the disciplines but however with the mountain swooping um Initially, it was introduced from an event that we used to work a mountain gravity, and that was a a boogie, a skydiving event that was held. It wasn't at a drop zone, but they would build the drop zone um, for this particular event. It was Dario Yoti and his family, and they would strategically place the, the drop zone between nice big mountains that allowed us from about 8,000 feet to already have the um, the ground as a reference. So we would pick a few lines that we could explore with some range and margin, and we would start running these lines over and over until we had uh, a lot of experience to be able to start guiding others down these general uh guided lanes or mm-hmm. what's the word I'm looking for? Sorry, boys. I yeah, like down the mountain. Yeah, like yeah. Those, those lines. Lines. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and that would be an exciting 10 days usually, and it would repeat each year, and we would come back and repeat and regain more and more experience, and each year the canopies were getting faster and more performance steeper so you could then uh, attach and stay closer to the connected near the terrain for longer and that stimulation of course everybody wanted a katana (laughs) super divey and yeah sorry boys i haven't been talking in a long time and my memory is really cloudy (laughs) Uh, it's it's cool it's the same now we're digging conversations we're, out and i'm just kind of spiraling around <laughs> <laughs> yeah were, were there any uh like skills that sort of complemented because i mean you clearly just by the way you were describing all of those activities out at the drop zone like uh clearly worked in the industry for a long like for a minute i mean that is a compliment um but are there any any skills that uh maybe you had to develop because of another activity or that maybe two skills that were complementary that you didn't expect? Um, <clears throat> pretty much just going through school alone, I recognized that I was not the type to follow the systematic um, um, invest and get a title and be good at doing tests and being compliant and a good worker. That was not going to be my way. So... I was really fortunate with the tattooing career that I had chosen because the guy who had mentored me um, was a huge influence that woke up a metaphysical sort of side of thinking and philosophy in my being and my life. And that kind of opened up and applied to the rest of the things that I then approached in life. 
So then when skydiving became my my chosen drive and direction, then I overlaid all my ways of thinking into my goals, my settings, and um, yeah, letting myself become overwhelmed with the information and looking at things from a different angle than the general foreseen. And that gave me <clears throat> ways to explore and experiment, be creative um, in relating to pretty much anything, basically becoming more interested in the finer details of life. And when I become in tune with acute details, then you can become completely involved and find peace in your focus at whether you're washing dishes or sanding or whatever it may be. And it was trying to apply that attitude of gratitude to anything I was doing in life. Mm. And that seemed to reward the activities by at least finding more joy and positivity so that you could then direct and help and see other things from a more positive perspective, even when others are getting frustrated and caught up in their demand, their time restraints and other things. You could always take it from another angle and make them smile or make it laugh, and then all of a sudden you could release the tension of all this uh, stress into the happening and yeah, get absolutely. involved with what, what you're doing. And then I applied this to anything I was doing, and I happened to pick a sport that was very rewarding, that everything you chose to do, you were rewarded with adrenaline, dopamine, friends, mm -hmm. cheers at the end of the day because you all shared such a fantastic time. So then the community built, and you had your chosen family, your extended family, so then you're already comfort with your chosen environment. And then everything that was happening around you was naturally stimulating and spark of interest to be like, well, that's cool. Look what they just did. And then, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And then you want to master it to be able to adapt and find a way that you can pass that information on to the next guy. So then you can get them also doing that cool thing. And then you get someone else doing that cool thing with, and then you get someone else at the end of the day going, yeah, man, this is awesome. And then celebrate again and on onward. Yeah. Yeah. How long did you, uh, so you started skydiving. How long were you skydiving before you decided to give base jumping a try? So I naturally started thinking about it mm. just because parachutes were then, well, how, how much altitude do I need for this? And, the, and of course, the safety aspect of it and when you first start skydiving, it's a lot of information. And then just learning the equipment, I recognized, okay, I'm going to put that on the back burner because I'm too gung-ho. I'm too anxious for everything. And at this time, the parachutes, they, the ones that were set for base jumping weren't, weren't very... Uh, it hadn't quite worked out all the kinks yet. Yeah. So regardless... It wasn't a, a big shining 
interest yeah. at that time. Right. However, <clears throat> being in the places I put myself, I then met some jumpers. And then being at the drop zone, I was in, in Pahokee, Skydive America. And this was... Where is that? West of West Palm Beach. Huh. You know, the, the big lake at the, the, the map of Florida. Mm. You see there's a big lake further down the bottom that's yep. lake okeechobee okay and just on the eastern coast of that lake was an airport uh, in pahokee hmm. and that was sky of america so that's where the uh, first school of modern sky flying were situated and had the school which was the attraction for me to go and find out well if they're doing it like this i've seen of course chronicles videos and that was right around the time that they were coming out new. And I was traveling with a tattoo scene, and there was a convention down in Florida. And part of the deal with the guy I was driving with was that I was going to visit these drop zones and do a couple jumps here and there. And I met some of the guys, and they gave me that um, reassuring. I told them, oh, I would love to do this. And they're like, yeah, get in a van, pack it up, do it. Uh, <laughs> huh? Okay, maybe I will. And the seed was planted. So after the long travels back and, yeah, got the camper van, kept kept uh, jumping at my home drop zone and get raided. I've started dispatching students, was completely focused so I could then dispatch students at 3,000 feet, three students, three bucks a head, nine bucks and I get to swoop I get a hop and pop out of it and this would accumulate my my desire to share that experience and with a small drop zone like that is it was club atmosphere at this time it's not like the industries that have developed in the sport with tandems and stuff like it is now but at that time everybody on the drop zone wanted to be on that small plane so they needed to wait their turn their whole day, and during that waiting process, they got to watch everybody that they were waiting around with have their experience. So then they would share, and they would land and be just as happy for the other when they land, and they're sharing their experience, and this would carry on until the fire pit that night. And it just became a really beautiful social environment, and that attracted me to that scene, and I became a character that was... Uh, ring leader of <laughs> the the fire pit would light up maybe in April and it would stay lit until October. Maybe mm. we had to stir it up a couple times throughout the year, but for the most part, it was the big white man fire, trailer <laughs> park trash burning away, and uh, some of the jumpers were maybe construction workers. Some were um, crafts and carpenters and Throughout the week, they would bring all their trash and dump it, and that <laughs> would continue for the, <laughs> That's awesome. for the burn. And uh, <clears throat> so that gave me a location and a place where I had desire and drive. And the drop zone owner is one of my best friends to this day. At that time, he was the drop zone owner, and I was trying to get a job and trying to get cheaper jumps and trying to get away with it my way. And I was so enthusiastic and trying to find different ways to get more than this three bucks a head 
for a dispatch, 3,000 feet. And the drop zone owner recognized that I was enthusiastic and I was fast on my skill development. And he said he's not going to grant me the job because he feels if he gives me a job, he's going to hold me back because he recognized I had more potential and he was running a weekend operation in Nova Scotia, Canada, which is a rural mm. land. And at that time, there were only a few turbine sort of operations and you needed to travel south for that. So that was what I did. Nice. So I remember my jump 555 was like I led a track dive with my drop zone owner and the main video guy was old school guy, Ralph. And I was trying to lead the stuff on my back at this time because back flying wasn't a thing yet. But there I was doing the thing that people said that you're not doing. I was trying and doing. And come with me, I'll show you. <laughs> that sort of thing. So I did that and uh, it was memorable. I remember in my book, 555, and it was check the box and time to go and try it my way. And I found myself then down in Florida, Skydive America, Pahokee, van parked down by the levee, alligators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a really interesting time. I spent all the money I had mostly on the travels to get there, and let's see what happens once I get there. There was no security. There was no plan B. There was pack it up devote and try and see how it works out. And a lot of life lessons were learned quickly by learning the flow and not needing to have the security to make the decision of saying yes to something because I didn't have much money to be able to then just blow it on jumps and needed to find a way to uh, pack or be first get away onto the packing floor and I arrived at the time of year where most of the jumpers that are um, it's a seasonal job sure and winter was coming mm. and so, so the long term Florida and Hawaii yeah, and then everyone <laughs> was leaving and that was my opportunity to get a slot on the packing floor nice and it wasn't because it was available it was just that I was there and Everybody yes, left. I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so packing, packing, packing till I could pack all weekend and maybe be on first load, maybe sunset load. If I'm on sunset, it's going to push my packing day back another hour and a half. And throughout the week, I could kind of pack everything on the load, maybe myself and make the load. And then it got to a stage where I could take care of the school equipment, the tandems and the school rigs and and earn a um, money on the account. And then that could be my jump money. Nice. And then the money I earned from the sport jumpers would be my food-to-mouth money. Mm -hmm. And then found a way to start making it work and survive. And before... Before I was completely on, on the mat, I was like, mm, this last $5, I kept trying to hold on to my last $5 because what am I going to do when I have no money? 
So I was like, I don't even have gas money to get out of here. And I'm really hungry. And the guys are going to the Cuban shop to get a coffee again. Do I get go for a sandwich? I can't spend this last $5. And I struggled for like two weeks holding on to this last $5 until finally I was like, enough. I'm buying the sandwich. So I went, bought the sandwich with the guys, driving back, happy, good-tasting Cuban coffee. And I'm like, oh, no. How am I, how am I making the next step? As we get out of the van... The uh, tour bus arrived. Some jumpers got out. They recognized me. Rob, good, my packer's here. Good, we're here for a week. You're going to take care of me? Yes, sure. So then I didn't have to ask if I could or whatever. The guys already said, this is my packer. Ah, okay. So that was my turning point of realizing once you spend, just let it go. And then it carries on with the flow. And cash was like this for me. It was like, the more you try to hold on to it, it's like holding on to running water in a river, you know? Sure. Or just let just it flow. Let it go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, that gave me opportunity to be around high-skilled um, um, influences. And the references I had were then, yeah, free-flying. So we were free flying. We had the first school of modern sky flying as the the main team at the drop zone. So we had lots of things, coaching coming and going, other teams coming and training. And that was the beginning of no turning back. So it was from video flying to coaching and then getting a coaching in free flying at that stage opened up the whole world really because free flying was so much at its infancy that if you had any experience in it, you were all of a sudden the guy to go to. And <laughs> it wasn't a few months later that the uh, the drop zone was the plane, Yankee Doodle, was chained down to the tarmac, and the drop zone owner was jailed for... Yeah, embezzling or something. Allegedly, what is there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a reason why the drop zone was running the Twin Otter with six people in it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a single tandem. I'd be like, I'll I'll go with the video slot. <laughs> and yeah, so the Twin Otter would be going up, and you're almost doing somersaults down it, trying to hold yourself on the carpet because it's all an ass. Yeah, and. So once that drop zone started to shut down, at that stage, um, the first school was starting to disperse. Teti Martinango uh, was it, or is Italian, and she had uh, good influences and reason for us to go visit her nation. And her partner at the time was Olav. And so the first school was moving to Europe at that stage i had a an austrian girlfriend that invited me to go with her and i was like sold okay two weeks i packed the van i gotta drive to canada get my passport meet you in austria (laughs) so two weeks later Hmm. yeah drove back up to canada had within the timing of doing the passport stuff and everything in time and moved to europe and that was uh, 2002. Nice. That's about the time I started skydiving. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, so my, my face hurts from smiling, just uh, all the little uh, memories that you've jogged from, from similar experiences from, you know, because I'm coming along a little later, but, uh, you know, same, I see a uh, little 182 drop zone, a big weekend we would run two 182s. And I was yeah, like, that's true, yeah, like this. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, that's that's awesome. And like the guidance for free flying was like, oh, just wear like a baggy sweatshirt and shorts. Then that's how you sit fly. And then, <laughs> oh, do you do you recall any of like the best or worst early advice you got? Like, and you look back and be like, oh no, why would he tell me that? Or maybe something that was like priceless. Maybe that's a better direction to go. Mm, I think it's more like the advice I was giving. i would maybe correct or change um no i i started off already with an attitude of like okay yeah and now what okay yeah and now what and i was already over eager to earn and learn the next step because i knew it was so much effort and work to go up and do those few seconds during that one jump but if I'd already done that one loop they're asking me to do, what's on the next of the agenda? A loop and a turn or a loop and a – and what's next? What's next? And they're like, just do the loop and then we'll tell you. Yeah, okay, and then what? I was like, mm-hmm. and, and if I can do both. Yeah, okay. Then they started accepting my demands mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I was able to achieve. So then it was like, okay, now what? They're like, well – Maybe now take off the army boots so you can feel the air on your your feet because at this time oh, I was just Tivas? starting. Sorry. <laughs> I just started. I came on a big motorcycle to the drop zone and wearing army boots and yeah, Scott, I'm, you should maybe protect your ankles was my my thought at this time sure. because most of you are thinking about rounds. However, the squares had just come out, so we were jumping at that time Mantas 288s. A uh, mm. laser was like the 273 or something. That was the sporty one everyone was after. <laughs> and then there was the Goliath. Whenever we asked about, well, what's the size of the Goliath? The drop zone owner goes, does Goliath sound like a small parachute? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so at that time I got quickly onto, well, my, my first gear, of course, I I wanted to get rid of the round reserve that was in my my rig. And the first square that I found at a decent price was a sale from Slovenia. At the time, I didn't even hear or know where Slovenia was on a map. <laughs> I was like, they make canopies? Hmm, you guys know Slovenia? Can I trust this stuff? And I, <laughs> I ordered uh, an elliptical canopy in Alpha 104 at that time, and that became my my gem. Well, 104. Yeah. And so I flew that from a low jump number until I had mastered the canopy and had ragged it out. Yeah, a couple thousand jumps on it. And by then, cross brace canopies were coming out, and I had met Jeffro along the way, and then he hooked me up with a good deal on a Chaos 27. (laughs) And that was. Wait a minute, 27. Yeah, 27 cells. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's a 78-square-foot canopy. Yeah. And Sub-100 back in the day. Yeah, but most 
my jumping life, I've been 66 kilo. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it suited me perfectly. My first canopy that I owned was a Batwing 170. Yeah. And uh, I would jump 29, 30. Was it like all that. like uh, kaleidoscope colors? Yeah, yeah it was the, like green, purple, yellow, green, a little bit yeah. of purple. Uh-huh. Mostly green and yellow, if I remember correctly. With the matching pilot shoot? Yeah, but, but no one told me how to flare the thing. All I had ever done was flare the big ass you know, uh-huh, like yeah. student canopies. And so, like, I get kind of close to the ground, and I do like a full like, like up deep, you go again. Yeah, I went up like like twelve feet, and then dumped on my side like surge and crash. Yeah, luckily it rained the day before, so like the ground was really soft. But people came running out to check on me, make sure I didn't break something. Yeah, sorry guys, I feel so clouded. And uh, <laughs> this is my great. Stories no, are just picking a memory out of an old cloudy box, but um, generally. I like to at least believe that I'm a person that articulates my language in a way that I can be specific and explain what I'm trying and get a message across and share a message, usually in a some sort of positivity or nonsense of one way or the other that can make us giggle. But right now, like I said, we're just having a conversation. Right. But yeah, I'm yeah. Really That's all it is. Finding even in the conversation, I'm like, uh. My, my, my face hurts from smiling over here. I'm just trying to be quiet and, and listen. That's great. What, uh, what, oh, you're what, laughing at me. No. What was your first base jump like? Oh, right. Back to base talk. So that was the story, wasn't <laughs> yeah. it? So back in Pahokee. Well, here we we, go we'll again. get you there. <laughs> While I was on the packing mat, I met some people that were preparing for a night adventure. And at this time, I'm from the the east coast of North America, and we don't have the mountains. We have foothills, and so objects that were really big were pretty much non-existent. So the attraction to base wasn't really... uh, I wanted to fly, and for me it was the airtime. The parachute was then became an awesome way to get down because they developed and got better and they were interesting. But it was the flying that was really sparked my interest. And at this time, just risking it all to open a even bigger, slower, docile canopy wasn't like really shining a whole lot of interest in the risk taking Mm. and the efforts because it felt like, okay, it's going to be scary enough. Now do I want to do something that's illegal and then risk being deported back to the country and then I can't skydive and and there's just so many risks that were like is it worth that and they weren't really um achievable anyway because I didn't have the gear and I wasn't around the place but then I seen these characters that we were jumping with all day and then they start packing up and getting excited for a night mission and they were visiting and they knew of the area that they were going to go down and jump when they were taking another local with that knew all the details of the spot. And they invited me along. And they're like, oh, it's a big enough object. We can just send you off like a regular um, handheld standard beginning at this time. They thought it was pretty uh, basic because they were bringing me to 12 or 1400 foot object oh, wow. with an elevator. It's like the black hole. <laughs> It's like down corkscrew down south florida sure so i was like it was 
Valentine's Day, and it was not too far from when the drop zone started to get shut down and we needed to make our plans to move for the summer. And the girlfriend that I had at the time also accompanied me, and it was initially her friends that uh, were the crew that we were going with. So then they invited me along, and I thought, okay, I'm just going to go and check it all out. I wasn't sure if I was committed to the jump or not yet. And then, of course, I get there and I see, yeah, the ease, the access is 1,400 foot or 1,200 foot. It was massive. Uh, it's since been taken down with, a, I think, a hurricane Aww. took it down. But, man. So, up in the elevator, geared up. It was easy. I remember the strobe light going. I remember the push, the pitch, the delay. Another flash happened in between mm. <laughs> from the, lights, from yeah. the strobe light. It's taking and I was forever. Like, oh, it didn't work. Ah, it worked. <laughs> and, and then there was a really long parachute ride down and super excited and happy. And I thought, wow, this is good. I was like, whoa, this is too good. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> I'm really enjoying my life right now. I'm really enjoying the progression and the opportunities I have in skydiving. I'm like, I'm going to put this on the back burner and I'm going to set some rules for myself and I stuck to them all I had set first of all at this stage of the game I was what 22 23 years old I had at the time 787 skydives so it wasn't too long after I left with the 555 mark nice so yeah. now I'm back I'm down in in Florida these numbers are just coming to my head now from, <laughs> from from the significance of the moment. But anyway, I remember telling myself, whoa, I need to have thousands of jumps. I need to wait until my brain finishes developing before I'm relying on it, making all these decisions for me. And at this stage of the game, I was, again, metaphysically brain thinking, conscious breathing and moving this consciousness into my life. And I said, okay, I'm going to wait till my frontal lobe finishes <laughs> development. Like so that means I have to wait. They'll say 26. Maybe I'm a slow learner. <laughs> I better, let's say 30. So I thought that was reasonable. Put it on the fireback burner. Wait till you're 30. Wait till you finished your progression and desire of whichever discipline you're working on at the time. Wait until you feel like you're not receiving it anymore. Then maybe venture and look in another avenue. So I kind of set it on the back burner, as I've said a few times now. Didn't turn the burner on. <laughs> mm -hmm. And managed to continue traveling the world, then becoming the coach, free fly coach, then also representing the first school in modern sky flying because I, I kept the uh, influence and stayed around the school and Ola for, for quite some years. And then he started to create another program to make teachers so that he didn't interfere with the ones that had already become the ball masters and find a way that they can be teachers and not just coaches or instructors. Um, and where is this leading me? You stepped away from the base for a while. And then yeah, and 
so well skydiving was fully on again now I'm in Europe and then I traveled to Australia because Europe has winters and border control and limitations on the the sport is magical that way keeps us migrating whether it's visa reasons whether it's weather reasons or whether it's events mm -hmm. somewhere that everyone migrates to so I find myself at like funny farm and and Tugulua and having some good times in Byron just up up and down the coast now in, in Australia from there and then inland to yeah the the boogies in Tugulua and then I start seeing and meeting more people that are into base and I start going on some missions with them as ground crew and that was just to fulfill the the curiosity and being a little in the scene but I wasn't after the jumping itself just observing that my decisions of keeping it a little further away were was a good decision and then let's see it carried on until I was then jumping in spa and I first come there as the free fly coach but it doesn't take too long before they transfer your needs over into tandem. Oops. Oh, oh, see. What uh, you got? I think that's probably T. Carry on or pause? Yeah, no, it's good. It's cool. It's cheers well, uh, in the meantime. Yeah, cheers. Thank you for these. This is great stories. Knock you off the wagon. <laughs> Yeah, so we had a little intermission there, and now we got we got Tim on the mic. Welcome, Tim. You can can you finish my story for me? Absolutely. <laughs> where did we start, or where um, did we end? We were actually just uh, entering spa domain, so actually 2008-ish. It's around the time I've seen you, maybe. Yeah, I, right around um, then, I possibly. I haven't really seen you yeah. since. <laughs> no, I think we've like crossed paths a few times at least. Yeah, uh, actually, once yeah. the base started. Yeah. 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 So, so to cut you off and back to my story. <laughs> yeah, it's really um, important. <laughs> sorry, well, um, yeah, so Spa, I was at this stage um, mostly free fly coaching and organizing, traveling, and I was in Italy in the summers and then. The European summer would end, and I would end up in the Southern Hemisphere or Australia, and then came back, and I gave myself a few rules, like even if it's a good gig, three years max to return to the seasonal job, because by then you start getting involved in politics, and even the locals in the town they know you go to order food and they know what you're going to order. I'd be like, okay, been here too long. Here, next, change. So in this case, when I was in spa, I was getting to the stage of um, already jumping 12 years. Uh, free flying was a main discipline. Um, Crossbrace canopies were fully in development and in use and in fun to the stage that I was even – that was – 
the square canopy I had, so I was using that even with my wingsuit at that time. Um, I was at a stage where I was at the top of my progressions, and I was starting to push it to see eh, what I could get away with, knowing that there will be a time that things won't be in my favor. So, for example, having another whole rig set up to fly a wingsuit instead of free-flying was like, I'm not putting on a suit for fly that crap down, blah, blah, blah. So then from my elliptical canopies, the square canopy I had was the crossburst canopy. So I took that wingsuiting, and I went for the big suits for the most part. I Tony had made me the expert. And the drop zone, it was my third end of my third season and the drop zone turned more industry it became more tandem operated and using their people using their skilled people to run their operation and that kept us away from doing the things that we specify in because then the free fly instructor is doing tandems and the AFF person is doing the tandem videos and the the group in that area tended to be more to take care of their little community and if you weren't really from there you were always an outsider and at one stage when work got tight then the outsiders were the first to go mm-hmm. and i could see that and my friends were kind of being let go and i was starting to lose my fire and inspiration for um trying to give my information that was valuable at that time for free flying and being used just to be doing tandems. So after two and a half thousand tandems, I was like looking for new interest. And all of a sudden that little bird came back up going, Hey, wait a minute. I'm over 30. Um, I get over those 5,000 jumps. I had said, I'm, uh, Hmm. Let me, look into maybe gear let's look online to see what's available ding oh there's something available oh it's my size oh it's all black it's my colors oh, it's <laughs> oh interesting let's just see oh gears on its way okay <laughs> so start uh exploring the playground as as soon as you have a parachute in hand you're usually looking to see the available now it's objects but at this time it was yeah, just... Anything you could find. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Where and were you at during this time? Spa? I was in Spa. Where is that? So this is in Belgium. Okay. And there is a bordering bridge from Germany to there that was 78 meters. That was like, I could see that from the airplane. Hmm. And then I started visiting this bridge in the morning. And I didn't have a mentor there were a couple guys at the drop zone that were base jumpers, but they weren't really skilled flyers. And I knew their level of flying and competent and capabilities. So I was looking for their knowledge of the area, the, the new area of entering the proper places to yeah. push from on the bridge sure. or taking their information. But I didn't really trust in 
them leading me because I felt they had less experience. Yeah, you didn't take them on as mentors. No, that's right. So yeah. I just wanted to but learn. They can show you access. Yeah, yeah. There's there's different things so people can show you besides how to. Jump. My gear arrived and um, I start. What was your first gear? It was a Flick 242 nice. in a Vertex 2 container. Nice. And started doing handhelds from this bridge at sunrise and it would allow me to get back his 24 minute drive back to the drop zone and i could then pack my gear before the early risers arrived to the drop zone to start wondering what i'm doing or asking but now my day ahead of doing tandems i've already had my sneaky one in and uh, mm-hmm. i've got a little giggle and even sitting on the airplane for the the routine I could at least see this little bridge over there and say oh yeah (laughs) and have my little giggle and that started the interest of then going well I was never really interested in the base risks and scene but I am in Europe now and the mountains are here so now would be the time to actually put all this stuff together before the season ends and I start heading to the southern hemisphere again. So made a trip to Lauterbrunnen and I thought again, go on my own. I know there's a few people down there. There's some dukes and and some other old school timers that I had met in my skydiving years. And uh, I knew I could meet a few but I could go to the objects that were really accessible and gain a little bit of my own experience before I kind of intrude on others' plans and and be somebody that they have to babysit or take care of. So I kind of just ventured on my own. And at that time, I was completely competent in flying. I was tunnel flying on a weekly basis, I was free flying constantly. I was airborne. That was just my life now. And now I'd passed all the check marks that I had set for myself and realized, oh, I've actually exceeded them. I had five and a half thousand jumps. I was 32. I was, I forget what the last one should really remember because they were really solid marks that I set myself. Anyhow. There I was, um, in the valley. Now big suits were just becoming of interest. They were just actually making it to the market. And there were Andy West and a couple boys that Tony had delivered to the experienced base jumpers, the ones who had been in it for more than a decade at this time. That was like a lot of information and the, the holy ones. However, with base jumping, they didn't acquire near the airtime and the skills that I had acquired in my lifetime. So all of a sudden, I arrived to an exit point. It's like, ooh, well, that's a scary scenario. But as soon as I'm in the air, I was competent. So at this time, they were giving the large wingsuits to their experienced base jumpers, like Andy, for example. But they weren't the, the most competent flyers. They were just the most competent maybe in that environment. And now introducing a big wing to them, all of a sudden I see another guy on the exit with a big wing. 
So I brought the the drop zone I was then working at um, after the bass had interested into life. I thought, okay, I'm done with spa and I'm going to go to Brazil and from there I don't know where I'll come back to in Europe. And on this travel, I was in Lauterbrunnen. I was on the train up to go to Lemus. And I met another jumper, and he was tattooed, and he's looking at me, and we get talking, and he's like, oh, I, I see you like tattoos. I've got this tattoo artist that is uh, new to our drop zone. You should come to our drop zone and meet him. We need somebody like you to work at our drop zone. I was like, man, I'm really over Europe uh, jumping and weekend operations, and you want my brother here who uh, I'm traveling with, and he's base jumping with me. He's more – he'll be your loyal guy. He'll be uh, – He's the packer. He's this. He, he's he's your man. Yeah, but we need somebody of your skill, and we need blah blah. blah. Okay, but we come together. So we went to the drop zone. It was uh, Southside Base in yes, yes, yeah, not far from here. here yeah, um, and um, it was Seb. Um, Seb Bunk. Yep, yeah, Seb Bunk, yeah. and he was the the tattooed character, and he was getting a fresh piece on his arm actually at the time. And I, I said, oh, who's doing this? Oh, this is the student that uh, – and so he tries to entice me to his drop zone to meet this student, which turns into a long story because that student turned into a really good friend at that time. And I started coaching him, and he opened up a spot in his studio for me to come work and start uh, refreshing my skills and then start um, earning a bit for – the next continuation and get out of Europe. And this guy became a really good friend and traveled with me and met me then in Brazil. And he's like, oh, you're such a good guy. You should marry my sister. I want you part of my family. And this was an ongoing joke for a couple of years till I was like, well, let me meet your sister. <laughs> <laughs> and now my wife. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's a crazy story. Um, so anyhow... I left that drop zone and just to for the the week to go down to Lauterbrunnen, and one of the other co-owners had a small prodigy wing or something, and everyone's like, ah, "If you're gonna wingsuit from the cliff, you need to do so many in this, and then you need so many in that." I was like, "Okay, so I'll take a smaller wing first, and I I went and I did one jump with that, and before I was like, "Okay, that's in the car," <laughs> took out the expert. And in a cable car, Dave, and told him my plan. He thought, okay, I'll watch you from the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I want to go first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't, don't want to get your jump ruined. But <laughs> and then we went up to um, um, Nose, High Nose. Mm -hmm. And then I flew the X-Bird off that, and that put the whole game into place. Ding. All right. Now new features, because I was comfort in the air. It was just entering the air was a new environment, and now I was in a place with the mountains. So being a nature boy, it just made it perfect. I could use my own energy, accumulate my altitude, and have the gift to be able to fly happy days. Um, and then my skydiving took a shit-kicking. <laughs> <laughs> that's when it got weird 
And uh, no, that was uh, And it was at that point he knew he fucked up. No, no, not at all. Just opened up the playground. Yeah. And so from mountain swooping, it was actually a lot of speed flying happened. So then flying with the mountains, flying high-performance canopies, and then base, and then being able to wingsuit back into the high mountains, then uh, satisfied, fully fulfilled, and lots to do. And weather was the only thing that kept starting to make things change. And at that stage, I kept um, doing events, load organizing, coaching, um, on the weekends and stuff so I could keep myself current in flying and then I could privilege myself with being able to fly in the mountains and game on hmm. until 2012 and I broke myself for the first time hmm. really bad tell us about that oh. which stage <laughs> how, how long of a conversation do you want we got we got time. We got time. So I was um I was in I crashed at the Weissehorn in Swiss speed flying and it was just a failed launch because I set myself up at sunset and then the catabatic winds were descending down the mountain and I wasn't getting my favorable on heading lifty. So I went to another ridge line that kind of faced into the wind, but it was up the mountain, but the ridge line dropped down into a ravine. And that ravine went cliff drop. And at this stage of my life, it was actually my birthday. I was turning like the age of Christ. <laughs> I was the most current and efficient. 33 for the uninitiated. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and Bruce Lee. Just turned 34 that day. My father bought me a telephone five months before when I was visiting Canada in the change of seasons. And Dad was like, with the crazy stuff you're doing, what could I get you that could ha potentially save your life or help you along your travels? It's like, well, all these phones, and I never really want one, but maybe it's good to have tracking device blah 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 and so i had gotten a phone earlier that hike on the way up to where i crashed i actually phoned my parents to be like hey and it actually works happy birthday to me thanks for the phone blah 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 and uh i i arrived i hiked the mountain barefoot at this stage i i didn't have shoes for six years previous to that i was actually barefoot kid walking around feeling the uh the earth and I would recognize the temperatures changing at altitude about a month before anyone else so I'd already have my plans for the next job and the booked season ticket to get out of there just at the time when people are like oh it's getting cold well, time to go so that kept me uh, pretty grounded and in tune with my footing and where I'm going in life and it kept me more of a nature boy and to the feel of things. Previous to this, why I was at the Vice of Horn, I was um, filming a reality TV show with the stunt athlete Luigi Cani. He's a Brazilian mm -hmm. athlete and uh, 
world record holder for flying the smallest mm-hmm. parachutes. Um, and we became really good friends, and he would hire me to film his stunts because we had the same wing loading, and I was competent in flying the parachute, so I could follow him if he was doing swooping stuff. I could follow him if we were doing wingsuiting stuff. Um, Scott, I've related, and for the most part, the wingsuiting trumped everything, and that's what we, we mostly focused on. And that's what the the uh, their nation, Globo TV and stuff, were interested in, in showing. So that's what made the shows interesting for them. And he had then had a dream to fly around the Matterhorn. And we had actually just come... I had just come back to Europe because I previously I had overstayed my visa allowance and I was banned for a couple of years, which kept me in the not prime weather time in Brazil and that made us the opportunity of other projects and opportunities so this is probably why I was involved with so many things with Luigi at that time and we were filming that day actually so in the morning we'd done some wingsuiting around the Matterhorn and the heli crew that we had used ended up being the heli crew that came to rescue me later that night because Again, it was my birthday. Mm-hmm. We finished shooting by like 11, 30, 11 in the morning, and the weather was perfect. It's mid-August, and I'm looking at this rock far away on the horizon going, that looks wing-suitable. I'm going to take my speed wing and just hike towards that as far as I can to get as much information that I can being on the mountain, and then I'm just going to fly the speed wing back to the, the bottom of the ravine and I had gotten away with it, and I pushed it, and I was, I was test jumping, and I was testing things with the speed wing in Brazil, with Soul Wings and Tiago that were ridiculous <laughs> at, at this stage. But at that time, we we're like, I'm gonna try that. Oh, it works. Pick me up. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so a lot of trial and error, and I was super confident and capable, and I knew the conditions weren't quite right, and I set it in in the favor where I was like I've always gotten away with it it's not the best I'm going to commit I'm going to hesitation kills so I'm going to do what I've always done and just full on commit and I gave it like it was all in good and I hit so hard it knocked me out which I didn't realize because I was knocked out but I got hit again and it woke me up and I realized that that rock was way too close for comfort. And I went to steer. And as I went to steer, I realized I had lines wrapped all around me instead of uh, just in the hands. And I was about to roll again. And I realized rolling is not what I need to do over this edge of the cliff. And this is when my free-flying skills came in. And I started to more or less sit-fly down the side of the cliff. And I start using the left side of my body because my right side is my tattooing able side. And I'm trying to protect my money maker <laughs> and use the left side as drag to start slowing myself down. However, as soon as I touched, my wrist slapped my elbow. Okay, that's broken. And then I went to be upright and I put the uh, ankle down. The ankle broke and that led to the pelvis. And I broke a wing out of the pelvis, 
a couple vertebrae, um, smashed the ribs, punctured the lung, and um, there was a little perch about the size of this table, basically a dinner table. There was a, a ledge that I thankfully crashed onto because extending that fall would have been a finalizing. Mm. And I had a big old iPod at that time in the pocket. And when I was flying, I always had music on in my head at this time. And the iPod, I would flip the pocket over so it wouldn't fall out of my pocket when I was in the speed wing harness. So I would just put a twist in the pocket so that the phone was kind of locked. But it wasn't the phone. The phone was in the other pocket. This was the iPod. And the iPod took such a, a big uh, hit but it distributed out the blow that it didn't break my my uh, the joint of my pelvis. It just kind of slid up, and then the wing it just broke a big U shape out of the back of the pelvis. Um, so all again, all my joints were good. Um, found myself there because we were filming so much. I was still in filming mode, so I took my helmet off looked at the camera and there was like that bicycle sort of look where you had a corrupted file back in the day of GoPro whatever. Yeah. And uh, it was full of blood because I'm gushing blood. That's where mm -hmm. the scar on my forehead came from. The GoPro kind of went in there. So the first hit was from the head because I went full on charge, commit, and did the tumble there. Ooh. Cracked the neck and uh, and came to on that rollout to be able to sit fall down the side of the, the mountain. <laughs> I like that sit falling. Sorry and there I took the, the camera off, licked off the blood, turned it back on and set the set the helmet camera up beside me to be like, this is going to be some epic footage. And then I start trying to phone to see if the phone works and phone uh, Luigi and then the rescue mm -hmm. and just to let them know where I'm at and told them what I seen. I didn't know how much reception I would have, so I was like just straight to information. Okay, I'm at this altitude, I see this, and there's a there happened to be a landing pad just on the other side of the ravine, so they would know that landing pad and instantly there was like helicopter coming instantly is like forty five minutes. Oh gosh. Mm -hmm. Um but that felt pretty instant while I needed to kind of gather myself and my bones and my scenario so rob i want to ask you a question so he's been moving his arms around and in the podcast we can't see but he talked about his money maker <laughs> but he's pointing to the left side of his body except for the spine and maybe the center but everything else center how was your money maker at that at that point well at that point i was just trying to save my right side and my right side was good. Yay. So um, I could then use the phone and point out and set the camera up on this side to record the nonsense. And I could say that I saved the right side um, right up until my most recent crash, where I then smashed the femur outside of my right side. So now my body is finding a way to balance itself out. So the limitations I have in one joint will uh, now be compensated with the limitation in now the other joint that allow my squats to be uh, symmetrical. Mm. 
Oof. And let's see. That's the beginning of my accidents, smashes. We call it we call it the history of injury. Yeah, uh, there's yeah. A, we we have a whole section dedicated to that on, uh, a, on a normal <laughs> podcast with like the standard questions. But yeah. I knew we would get there, so I didn't even. Oh uh, yeah, that's a given <laughs> huh? because the ones I've yeah. got were uh, life life threatening or life taking. Yeah. yeah. Or mm. but other than that, I was like scot free most of my whole career and hadn't broken much more than fingernails from packing <laughs> how long was the recovery for that one uh should have been longer than i took but the state i was um seeing that i was 34 and gung ho and had an attitude of need to be airborne uh, from the moment even when you watch the crash video that I just told you I continued taking, most of the time is like asking them to take care of this because how long can I fly again? And yes, this is stupid. I'm in this situation, but I realize that I need now to, everything was just about when I can fly again, when I can fly again. So the motivation and the drive was there. And I chose to go be grounded in the most grounding place I had found at that time um, so that I would heal in a place that I didn't have the temptation and flight in my face. So I went deep into the jungle of Costa Rica where I met uh, uh, a community from previous travels that I knew I was welcome to go back and live in that area with the devotion on healing. And... I was, I had my friend who was, uh, who I started at his drop zone, who's my friend now. Um, he actually came to visit the drop zone owner and hung out with me a bit during that recovery. We had done some um, ayahuasca ceremonies with the intention on healing and stuff so that I could at least exercise the, the mind, the brain had stimulation that didn't feel this inadequate capability to use my body. And I was really training myself uh, pretty disciplined. And out of the blue, Luigi had Skyped me, and I happened to have internet at this time in the jungle. We had satellite, and it had worked. And Luigi was talking about the season finale that was coming up in the next, I think, five weeks or something he was talking about. And it's such a shame that I can't join because I was such a big part of the the whole season. And now this injury has taken me out for the end season finale where he wanted to have a lot of the people together. And while we're talking, I'm taking off my Velcro cast and this <laughs> and that. And I start showing him uh, my flexibility, was what I'm look, I've got this much range already, and if you say it's that many weeks away, that gives me uh, that much time and devoted to have something on the agenda to work towards. And I, and so that was it, sold. He was like, oh, really? You're that far ahead? And well, well a little shocked, and uh, I carried on as if it was uh, better than it was. And I did it. I pulled it off. I made it. 
I made it back to Brazil and started hiking Gavia as my training again as well, just for getting the heart and the lung. And I could hike Gavia barefoot. I could land on the beach barefoot. So it was back to my regular training ground, and that was where I was just kind of training to be competent to say, yes, I can. Zach Tessier happened to be visiting, and he was accompanying me. He had a bad ACL knee, so we were gimping the hike <laughs> together. And um, the season finale was going to be on a tropical beach um, island in uh, the north of Brazil, and we were going to be doing beach landings and everything. So it was all kind of falling in within my favor of realm to say, yes, I can. And I was hoping that we didn't actually have to wingsuit it because it was going to be a low pass on this island that was the only thing that was um, interesting for, mm -hmm. for the viewer. Otherwise, for TV, it would just be skydiving. So it turned out that we ended up actually just tracking, and I did some freestyle filming of Roberta at the time, and then we could land on the beach with our high-performance canopies, and we had good strong wind, so I was saved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Everything fell into my favor. But it was 12 weeks, 12 weeks after... That's pretty fast. 13 fractures, Oof. two weeks in the hospital... My was it mostly just bones though, like yeah. no no ligaments or tendons? Yeah, no, no? that's right. Okay. Just the bones, well, and this wrist that they uh, mm. they did a yeah, lot that, of surgery that to get great. back together. <laughs> and I didn't do my full physio to get that fully back because it wasn't my most important limb at that time <laughs> of life. And uh, now, while I've had time to work on this, I've been actually working on my other old injuries as well. Yeah. So by the time I'm 50, I should be in the best shape of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yes. And, yeah, so at that stage, I was just uh, switched with my eyes skyward. So straight from the hospital bed, I was just driven to be like, get airborne again. And, yeah, 13 fractures. 12 weeks later, I'm wingsuit, base jumping back in the tropics. Mm. Um, but that was the first time I recognized that it wasn't that I'm not capable, but my brain wasn't in the same speed of performance. And my coaching brain caught all my mistakes. And I would be flying and frustrated with my performance instead of appreciating the whole ambience and just being able to be where I'm at. You know, I was already... My coaching voice. Self-critiquing? Yeah, of course. And this is what has always driven the soul to push forward anyhow. Yeah. That's wild, man. That's, uh, I'm glad you're still with us, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a close one. And uh, I found out that uh, just being the age of Christ, barefoot Christ-like, didn't quite make... Uh, Make it fly. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't walking on water. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a matter of if, you know, in the, I feel like in the sky sports. I mean, there are a few people that, I mean, haven't gotten hurt too badly, but I feel like the longer you're around, like, the, 
it's just inevitable that some sort of injury is going to happen. Um, well, it is a risky activity, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100% it's a risky activity, but this is also what is the gift of the activity because it forces us in the present moment. Because it is so risky, it forces you to be impeccable with your actions and be completely prepared. And by arriving to these places, you have that instinct within called fear. And that fear is going to be your main alarm. So why are you feeling all this fear? Is it because you're um, unprepared? Or is it because it's naturally a scary situation? Is It allows you to ask all these questions and then step back and prepare yourself so that when you do arrive, you're ready to actually perform and not go try something. Because I feel in in the base environment, is some, it's a place, it's like stunt work. It's something you prepare for and then you go perform the jump. You don't go trial and error because then your error will be... Uh, yeah, it's high risk consequence. Yeah. yeah. yeah, And it's not like saying doing all the training in another discipline is making you exempt from the injuries, but it makes you more competent to keep it in your favor when you're losing the balance or when things aren't working in the right way. The reason I'm here talking to you now is because I was able to respond adequate when the shit hit the fan, when things had already gone wrong, and I could continue responding in a way that created an opportunity to save my life and mm-hmm. in a couple other scenarios that we've yeah haven't brushed on yet. Well, but, and, mm-hmm. and I, I wrote down that uh, something earlier that I wanted to ping on was that you didn't just do the minimums. And that's something that I see a lot in the sky sports is that like, oh, you have to have at least 300 jumps or eh, pick a number, like throw a number out there to do something. Exactly. That's what I'm kind of getting at is that you don't do the minimum amount of work to be able to do something. You Mm -hmm. should be excelling way above that, you know, so so that you're prepared when when things hit the fan, not just the minimum to eke into an activity. I'm guilty of this. I'm certainly guilty of this for sure. Well, nowadays there's so many exciting disciplines. How Mm -hmm. can you choose? And then to get to the one that seems exciting or everyone has their interest in, not everyone has the opportunity to take the background I had in it where the disciplines didn't exist yet. Mm -hmm. So I got to ride the wave until the next uh, and gain my experience in all the different disciplines that I could put it into a package that I could be competent, whatever was thrown at. So by cutting the corners, this is why I always say, if, keep, keep yourself interested in the progressions, keep yourself with a sense of accomplishment and don't skip steps. Cause if you skip the steps, then you're not ready later when you're in too deep and the thing that could have been enjoyable to gain that experience now doesn't even exist and is endangering you. Mm-hmm. So it's um, a sport that keeps on giving, but you need to have the patience. And usually weekend operations will teach you patience. Mm-hmm. When you have that and weather, it's a weather-dependent activity. And these things should help set your... Uh, how the theater is going to work. Yeah. 
But yeah, I recognize from the first base jump at 787 skydives to go pump the brakes yeah. and then found myself after I exceeded my own checkpoints to check again and be like, oh, well now maybe. And then it wasn't a decision saying I'm going to, but things started to fall in my favor. So then I could also welcome them and explore within the range that it wasn't overstimulating. It mm -hmm. was just the next step. And uh, it was just entering the airflow from a standstill was just a new stimulation of waiting for it. Okay, and now. Um, so I can tell that to others, but for them to have their own patience and their own way, because now you can watch YouTube and uh, find out the way and where the line is, and mm -hmm. you can order stuff online or... So it's another scary world out there and yeah I choose to have a vasectomy and not have an offspring to worry <laughs> about uh, all that shit about for mm. and I can carry on my selfish practice and not worry about my offspring leaving this uh oh, man People in their fear of death and holding on to unlived life is uh, mm. that's tragic. Yeah, that's a tragedy. Yeah, and not that I say go out and be reckless, prepare, train, feel the accomplishments, and get the reward from those accomplishments, and be able to share and devote that into the next character that has the interest to join you. And then find the best way it is to inform them to gain the experience, to share it with you, so that you're not alone on this planet. For sure. So at one point, since Freefly kind of came into existence, was there a was there a Rob that was wearing sweet booties and turning points, doing sweet belly belly jumps? Never. What? Never. I went. My first suit was a uh, firefly, bell-bottom-looking uh, drag, drag lag, and um, thin in the body because I'm um, lightweight. And went with the drag high, weight low, mm -hmm. stable aerodynamic theory, and uh, and away we went. Um, the whole. Free fly rob uh, nonsense came up with the uh, internet and me being the nomad style in life that I was living. I met a friend that was interested in protecting his investments into Firebird um, canopy rigging manufacturer in Germany. And a Luxembourg student had started skydiving there and got fully involved with their little drop zone. And he started finding the competent jumpers around that he would want to bring to that drop zone. And he found me in Spa. And at this time, he wanted a better way to contact me. And I wasn't online or any of this stuff. So he wanted me to be on Facebook. And 
I didn't want any of this, but he was then upgrading his computer and he decided, all right, here's the term. I'm going to give you my old computer under the terms that you join Facebook. So he starts setting up an account for me. And I was like, yeah, don't use my name. So he's like, uh, free fly rub. And that's where that was born. <laughs> Stuck awesome. ever since. And now with this nation and uh, decades going by, people are asking, when are you changing it to wingsuit rub? There's <laughs> <laughs> a ring to it. But... And I figure um, in another decade or so when I don't want to be even found from my names, I can even bust out my middle name and become a character that isn't known on the <laughs> web Well, world. in this house, you're, you're uh, affectionately known as Free Fry. Because, yeah. uh, it's hard for me to get the FR and the FL. Bleh. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, Heron <laughs> is my actual name, yeah. Rob Heron. And it's a shame that that beautiful bird gets left out of the Free Fly Rob. Mm-hmm. Because not only is it a nice name, but or a nice bird, but it carries my family's name, which I have a lot of respect for as well. And uh, I was always able to recognize the people who actually know me or know of me by whether they call me Rob or Free Fly Rob, and then you know whether it came from Facebook Society mm-hmm. into uh, our skydiving community or if it was actual friends and now it's it's all a mix yeah. <laughs> well that's awesome well i think we got some food coming in yeah minute. i'm gonna go cook if you guys yeah. want to keep talking now let's just say we, we ought to just put a little bow on it man that, that was a great place to yeah, so you guys uh, dug up some old memories. Sorry, they yeah. were cloudy. Also <laughs> in the um, presentation of them. I'm so lost for words. My no, I don't. No, be. you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's a lot of words just jumbling together. But yeah. Nah, it's all good. No, talking a lot about... Yeah, thank you for uh, you know being open to doing this. Because it does take a certain level of vulnerability to, to you know put yourself out there and put this energy on the wherever it goes like i say at this stage of the game i feel so vulnerable and so cloudy that i realize it's the practice of the jumping that is giving so much confidence and the general attitude that i believe i Mm -hmm. am and how i project myself is so related to the chemistry that I'm delivered from the jumping activity mm-hmm. because I've been jumping for 24 years and all of a sudden I've got eight months, 10 months now, not jumping and the confinement stuff mm-hmm. that this is kind of like a therapy session of just getting my words back into talking to a community that actually understand where I'm coming from. And I'm not talking to the neighbor who's been locked up for the last few months as well and going, oh, you broke yourself doing something so dangerous. Well, you're not going to do that again. So I'm not having these sort of conversations. Sure. sure. And uh, as soon as I start 
digging into the memory bank, I realize it's really cloudy. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't you stop don't, smiling. You, yeah, you don't dig into it very often. Yeah. No. And that's what was cool about podcasts uh, was that, like, these are the opportunities where we get to, like, talk about, like, a deeper conversation than – yeah, who, who got their phone the out? Like, no no phones, no nothing, just us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I talked about yeah. the first phone I'd gotten. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that saved your life. Yeah, saved yeah. my life. Yeah. And that That's iPod awesome. has got a hell of a dent in it. <laughs> you still have that iPod. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You still play it? It's, I don't even know where it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's funny. But the tracks on it will be awesome. <laughs> and probably all the same as what I would still put on now. Nice. Very cool. I'm sure Tool is top of that list. <laughs> awesome. Well, Rob, let's do it again uh, back when we're all back in the sky. You that know? sounds and amazing. Then, uh, Maybe yeah. you guys come yeah. visit my neck of the woods. For sure. Yeah. See a chapter moving more towards this decade. Yeah. And not my cloudy thoughts of memories that I will leave here and be like, oh, yeah, right, and this. Oh, yeah, yeah, and that. (laughs) So thanks for at least opening up that book. Yeah. But um, you'll have to come visit, enjoy the float tank that we have uh, in the basement in the valley with Veron across the way and Meglon down the valley. From my sofa, we can see 13... Exit regions, more jumps than that, mm-hmm. but uh, and that's that's just the come up for a hike this summer. <laughs> so pick deal, pick yeah. what whatever you've got. We can we Make can work. find joy as, as soon as we can cross peoples. borders. Yeah, uh-huh. we're there. That's speed wings, skis, mm. base wingsuits, everything. Skydiving, not too far away either. Nice. And Randy and I, we've got some hiking and jumping to do. For sure. Yeah, we all do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, for the breaking broken boys. That's all right. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy to go slow. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah I'm not so the the slow hikers are usually the fun hikers. So those are, I, I I was like, who's the slow ones? Because they usually have the best stories. Because <laughs> they can breathe while they talk. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I try to while I hike hike a little faster than the talking. Mm. So that when people start talking on the hike, I speed up a little bit until they can't <laughs> and then you meet someone who like Brito and he was like a full on Navy SEAL and I thought oh, I can I can't up, outrun this guy, this guy <laughs> and yeah no that guy could talk at any speed yeah. so awesome. cool well, I look forward to it thank you again for being on the show pleasure yeah thanks buddy. for guys Knock the dust off. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> this was a base life podcast. Cheers. And we knocked you off the wagon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you want to know more about our guests, just check out the show notes. And if you want to give us some feedback or reach out to us, you can hit us at baselife2014 at gmail.com, facebook.com backslash the base life. And on Instagram, we're at base.life. All right. Thanks.